everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy News is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casella, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Georgia Tech Week. Happy uh, new Carrier Dome roof unveil for the first time. Of course, no one will be there, but uh, we'll good. see it on TV. It does look good. It looks like a really, like, cool, solid job. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, like, I don't... I don't love what it looks like against like the rest of the skyline. I feel like it's a little bit of an eyesore, but at the same time, like it's also just getting used to it. Uh, and, and I'm sure I'll get used to the uh, the roller coaster tracks and all the other stuff. Is that um, stuff staying up, or is that like going to be removed after the like? Is that holding the ceiling up permanently? I, don't, I, I thought don't know. It, I thought it was, but <laughs> but I could be wrong there. Yeah, someone someone let us know. Uh, we we should probably know this, but. Um, I don't remember like what the what the actual final uh, like renderings look like. Although obviously, like those aren't necessarily exactly what it's going to look like. Ultimately, right. as people have noticed, with like you know, it's not like a perfectly clear like sun sunroof thing in the middle. But I think it still looks cool. It's modern um, while still like not being so uh, different than what we're used to. It's like it, it very much looks like a modern upgrade to the dome roof. Which you know, there are worse things. I think the dome roof while being in what it was like is pretty iconic so yeah i agree i i, I think I, I like the overall look i thought the field the color on the field i know that was replaced too it looks new it pops uh th- th- there's just a lot to like about uh, about the overall aesthetic feel uh, and i think we'll get a better view of it on saturday uh, well maybe um i feel like those in new york um <laughs> maybe not because apparently the new york yankees you can blame them for this um, their their game on Saturday means that yes, we'll not be picking up the uh, Syracuse Georgia Tech game, and because the ACC continues to work with uh, regional sports networks for reasons unknown, when they could easily just use ESPN Plus or watch ESPN, um, you will be forced to watch it on the Fox Sports app. Uh, yeah, it's it's so baffling because we thought I mean we've talked about this before. We we thought that we were done with this. Like <laughs> we thought this not. was no longer an issue when you get your own network with its own spillover network. And also ESPN Plus, which has a lot of college football on it. So, like, hopefully they they figure out getting rid of this. I guess the good news is um, if you get the Yes Network on your cable package, you should be able to log in on Fox Sports Go, which is the, like, Fox Sports version of Watch ESPN to watch the game. It sounds like that's the case. I'm not sure if that's been confirmed yet. Um, So, yeah, not not ideal uh, for those of us who are in that situation here in New York. Although, uh, to be fair, I don't know that the uh, Syracuse offense is necessarily something like <laughs> if I don't if I can't watch it. I mean, am, is, am I going to be better off? <laughs> I don't know. Oh shucks! Telling me oh, I don't no. have to watch that for a another Saturday? like three yards a, a play, basically. Maybe. Man, if if I'm going to miss how many sacks? <laughs> anyway, um... that's a that's called a transition, folks. Yeah, that is called a transition. Um, for what it's worth, I might actually be able to watch the game um, because I usually get the uh, the broadcast either on Fox Sports West or on uh, like KDOC, which is like the. I guess it's, I'm trying to think of what the all like the well like whatever Channel Fifty Five is like in New York. I think it's like the same thing. That, John, like, you ran- are going to watch the game because you're being punished by your unborn child. This is true. Uh, my unborn son has decided that um, I need to just keep watching this team. Um, I, I'm not getting a paternity leave, uh, although he's he's being nice or mean. We haven't decided yet. 
and, and, and he's going to give me uh, the bye week as one of the weeks that I'm off. So, he's also averaging 1.7 yards per rush fewer than the Syracuse Orange. <laughs> yeah, at this point, he's really not doing that poorly. <laughs> oh, God, it's bad. He, he, he might be the next Syracuse quarterback at this rate. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to talking about the offense a little bit. We don't want to, like, retread too much of what um, I know Steve and Andy were talking about in the video show, but did want to kind of at least look at the quarterback position in particular. Uh, I put up an article on Monday. I never, I didn't plan on this, but I just kind of ended up writing 1,400 words about Tommy DeVito and what was going wrong. And ends up it's a lot, but not all of it's his fault. Uh, but some of it is. Uh, I, I think Dan starting for me, like decision-making is such a big part of this. Uh, and, and I think like we, we knew from Dungy, while we didn't always agree with the decisions he was making, um, he did make a quick decision uh, when he was under center. And it was usually... Uh, either throw a not amazing but not bad uh, pass into sometimes coverage or take off and run and potentially get maimed in the process. But he made a decision uh, very quickly. And I think what you've noticed, uh, first and foremost, with Tommy DeVito here, is that this year in particular, he is not making quick decisions. Um, and, and the quick decision he does make is usually to tuck it and allow himself to get sacked. Um, I think some of these are covered sacks. Some of these are just unavoidable because the interior line's been blown up immediately. But uh, I, I do think DeVito is, is his own worst enemy in, in some of these cases. And when you when you saw Rex Culpepper come in, uh, while he wasn't perfect, and I and I will we'll get to his play in a sec. Um, one thing that he did do though is is, is respond definitively. Um, whether he was under pressure or not, and quickly make a decision. And even if it was an off-target pass, he was getting the ball out. And while I think that's not the exact result you want, it's closer to the result than what we're getting under DeVito right now, at least. Yeah, it, it, it's, I think it's becoming more clear this is a full offense issue. I think, obviously, the offensive line is just not playing well. Um, the DeVito sack numbers over the last two years show that. I think he is, what, like, almost 20 more sacks than any other quarterback or something. It's 50, like 50 something last year and already 14 this year in two games. It's, it's, it's wild. And it's, it's unfair to him. And I think it's one of those things where his timing is so just destroyed right now that even when he does get some decent protection, I think there were spots where there was some decent protection in this last game. um, His time, he just doesn't have a feel for the pocket. He doesn't have a rhythm. Um, and that's not to like pin that all in the off the line. Like he needs to figure this out. It's it's on him as well. I think um, it's hard to know in broadcasts that an all twenty two view. I imagine some of it is the receivers are not getting separation. Um, I think Taj is, has been pretty good, honestly, all things considered, with like how bad the offense has been. Um, Taj has been good, but you still have even plays with him. Um, and it feels like it happened every week last year. It's happened both games so far, where there's a play where Devito and he uh, just are not on the same page, and he breaks off a route. And I don't know whose fault that is. I haven't known whose fault it is the whole time. I'm my, my my best guess is it's more likely the receiver than the quarterback. But um, in any case, like they're just for some reason do not have that chemistry that you think they'd have from being together in this program for three years. You have other receivers dropping bad passes still. It's uh, and I think there's just probably a lack of separation downfield. I think some of these are probably coverage sacks. Um, and then Devito, he doesn't have that same fight or flight response that uh, Dungey had. We're like. Dungy obviously played with pretty bad offensive lines until his final year. Um, maybe not this bad, but pretty bad. And like, he just knew he just had a really good internal clock. And there were probably times where he was actually a little quick to tuck and run. And because that was such a strength in his game. Um, but that's preferable to what DeVito does, which 
Um, even when he has some time, like he, he just, you know, did, getting buried in the pocket, not stepping up, not throwing the ball somewhere, not getting it out. Um, he takes so many sacks that just completely derail drives, um, especially when we're throwing early. And I, I, you know, I don't know what else we're supposed to do with the running game being what it is. Um, but like, I think the first downs have just been like maybe the the first thing that you can point to because we we just never have second and manageable. Like we're we're we have third, uh, second and nine, second and eight, second and 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 long. Like so often, it's it's crazy. Yeah, and then you're forced to pass on second down. The defense can read it pretty easily. And then third down, usually, if you know either either you pick up a potential third and, and manageable, or you're dealing with you know an incomplete pass and then that stops the clock. You're, you're basically bleeding no time off the clock, um, whether you have a lead or not um, in, in those situations. And, and I do, I definitely agree with you on, on the fight or flight thing. I think DeVito, DeVito's actually a good runner. And we've talked about this before. Like he, he's a good runner. He's a quick runner. And he's someone who doesn't really put himself in harm's way a ton, even if he refuses to slide um, as much as he probably should. Um, he, he is a he is a good enough runner that he could pick up yardage, and he has picked up yardage. Um, and you see him when he finds a running lane and he reacts quickly. Um, the, the the difference in this offense when he's doing that, he's picking up yards with his legs. Like, no, I don't want Tommy DeVito to be forced to be a mobile quarterback um, by any means. But if the pocket's breaking down and no one's open, and again, we don't know that because they're all 22 not being around. But if the pocket's breaking down that quickly and if there's no one open and he has to run frequently, then that's what he has to do. And I just think, especially when pressure's coming from the outside, like there's no excuse for not being able to step up to the pocket and and, and complete passes around the line of scrimmage, especially when most of his completions, like obviously almost all of his completions this year are, you know, within five, 10 yards of the line of scrimmage or behind it. Yeah, I think that's part of where like I'm, I'm guessing, but again, but like, I feel pretty good about the fact that receivers are not getting open downfield. And when we've seen him take shots downfield, like the touch hasn't been there, although it has, it's been a pretty small sample. Um, so I don't want to just like assume, you know, that he's just woefully unable to throw ball, the ball downfield. Like we've seen him do in the past. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just a whole issue. Like, it, and even and it's also like, it seems like different this week than it was last, against the UNC game. Um, I felt like a lot of the pressure was coming up the middle. I know Steve did a, his rewatch where he, uh, said, uh, saw like the center position was giving up a lot of internal pass rush uh, pressure, which is um, like it really probably worse uh, than getting off the edge because you can, like you said, you can step up in the pocket, you can assess to see if there are running lanes, you can get a better sense of what's downfield. Um, it seemed like this weekend in its pit, it was more uh, coming from the edge. I know Cervais uh, uh, had a pretty poor game, at least grade wise, which is disappointing because like he was expected to be kind of one of the stalwarts on that offensive line. Um, but in any case, like it's just, it's a full offense. Like there's no, there's no one part of this offense that's working. Um, it's just all kind of collectively, uh, leading to what we're seeing. Um, and then you throw in like, I guess like the one thing, the, the one positive takeaway I would almost say is like, uh, I like seeing Sean Tucker on, on Saturday. I thought he actually looked like, I mean, he averaged, you know, he only ran the ball four times. He averaged almost six yards of carry. He actually looked like he had some explosiveness and, and gave us a little bit of what like Markenzie Pierre had him doing us. Um, so maybe that's something I, I, you know, both of us have called for the tight ends to be a big part of this offense and uh, neither one has caught a pass yet this year, which is a big issue. Um, I don't even think it's targeted. Yeah. I, I don't remember a time when you, neither one was targeted. I barely remember seeing them on the field. I know Hackett's been out there. Okay. Like a somewhat a reasonable amount. Um, but if we have like offensive line issues, you'd think that we'd be 
going for more uh, tight end heavy packages, especially when you can split either one of them out wide. Um, it just seems like there are things that we're just not getting, we're not doing, we're not getting to. And it's a disappointing lack of creativity from Babers, from Gilbert. And it just like, there's no reason to just like slowly try to rebuild this, like figure it out. We, it's, it's large, like, it looks a lot like last year. And you think that like, it's kind of the same process. It's not like you hit a restart button. You're like, all right, well, it's two games. No, it's like 14 games. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's, it's very disappointing. And I, I totally get where like, you know, the frustration in the fan base is like, this is going to look like a lost season pretty quickly unless we get something going in the next game or two. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Obviously, like Georgia Tech was at least we thought one of the more winnable games on the schedule. Um, they they went out. Schedule. Yeah, they look ahead of schedule. They were able to do Florida State in the opener. Like they got stomped by UCF, but that's not necessarily like surprising. Uh, I, I think one of the things that one one of the big reasons why we might be seeing some problems is the one that you and I identified kind of in our season preview of the running back situation, and it's not just. It's not just the ability to pick up yardage, though I think like the second half they might have figured something out, um, especially with, with, with Tucker actually being a lot more effective. Um, Jordan's actually struggled a ton this year, uh, and, and you and I kind of thought that could happen if he didn't have someone opening holes for him, if he didn't have someone uh, kind of wearing down defensive fronts, like a smaller back like him being able to run through the tackles. Between the tackles was going to be tough, but like it's the pass blocking. You know, you, you, you look at pass blocking grades on our pro football focus, like going back a few years and among our like, top like three or four guys, uh, there was at least one, if not two running backs, even last year, like Ab- Abdul Adams and Jarvin Howard were like two of the better, uh, the two of the three best uh, pass blockers on the team this year, like nobody's even close. Um, and, and I think that that's part of, that's partly experience. It's part size, um, disadvantage, um, and it's, it's, it's clearly, I mean, you saw in a couple sacks where like Jordan to no fault of his own, just because, you know, he's, a, he's not a big guy. He's like what, five, nine, 165 pounds. Like just got blown up on, on blitzes numerous times. And it, it, it's because, you know, he, he can't really be expected to pick up, you know, a, a 265 pound edge rusher uh, just on, on pressure. Like it's not going to happen. And, and I think if, if that's the solution um, then we need a tight end in there, or like if SU can get healthy on the line, then we can move Chris Elmore back in there. Um, and that's probably going to pay some big dividends, but right now, like what they're doing isn't working. And, uh, another thing that, you know, we can probably talk through. And I think we had mentioned a little bit over the years is like tempo is not an advantage anymore. Um, it, at least it's not what it was when Baber showed up and because we have a talent disparity and the tempo was supposed to make up for that, now that everyone's used to tempo and now that we have lesser talent than most, um, and we did when Baber showed up, but like still having lesser talent and not having a scheme that is, that is even going fast, but even if it was, it's not providing the advantage it used to. Um, that creates a problem when you have a very simple offense uh, because then it's very easy to game plan against. It's very easy to defend against. Uh, and I think that's another thing just causing a lot of issues for us. Yeah, I'd be interested to see that, like, further. So I know Bill C. was tweeting about it a little bit tonight, and that's, like, someone asked him basically, like, why are these uh, Riles uh, coaching tree teams like Syracuse and uh, uh, Tulsa not having more success with these tempo offenses? And he suspects that it's because the offense is getting used to it. And that makes sense. Um, I think even for Syracuse, like, we just aren't able to play at the tempo that we want to play because we're going three and out so often. And when you have 45 second, three, three and out drives, like tempo doesn't do anything for you when you're gaining one yard in three plays. So 
Um, I do think there's something to that, but I, I it doesn't even seem. I mean, it's not like our, our tempo offense is like even able to get going to the fact where we could even examine that further on our end. So um, I don't want to like totally discount that. It could very well be right. I just don't know if that's the issue we're facing this year. I think that might be an issue long term for sure, though. And in which case, like, I think we need to see more um, out of the actual steam itself, like you said, and also like modulating the tempo uh, a bit, like using things to your advantage, keeping the defense on your on its toes versus just relying on the speed and the pace to do all of the work where that was definitely more effective a few years ago when you could wear teams out. But we've still seen teams, like if you still run a bunch of plays, like you can wear out a defense. It's just, it might not be the, the simple, like, uh, you know, flip a switch game change because so many teams are doing that now. Defenses eventually get used to it. Well, yeah. And if you have better athletes, obviously it's even easier. You see Ohio state does it. Oklahoma does it. Like Oregon continues to do it. Like if you have, top 25 talent then like yeah then it then, then it's more feasible if if you're like syracuse always resetting your depth chart and and dealing with at this point like undersized linemen undersized receivers undersized running backs like you do need a little bit of size like like like, like ohio state really did set the like as much as baylor gets credit for being a part of a like spread type revolution and 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 all that like ohio state and the size that they were able to put against said spread um, you know, dating back to the team that won the championship in 2014, like that's really the blueprint for like what's like SU came in a couple of years after that with a system that wasn't based on it necessarily, but had some similar principles. Um, and I think everyone has enough similar principles today where like if you're not putting the size and speed combo that Ohio State is putting together, like you need to have some more complicated looks. And I think Ohio State does have more complicated looks. And that's why like they're very hard to, to game plan against uh, because of that in Oklahoma too. Like it's not just a basic offense. It's not just relying on speed um, as your only differentiating point. And like, you know, I, I, I'm still a, 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 you know, defender of Babers. I'm still somebody who believes in him. Uh, but I think we need to start seeing some sort of change uh, on, on Zira Hughes's part if they want to be able to do something here. Yeah. I, I think it's very frustrating because like going into the Babers era, I think we we were under the impression that this is going to be a, a much more adaptable offense, especially based on what we saw at uh, at Bowling Green. Um, but I think you're you hit the nail on the head. The the talent is just eventually it kind of overwhelms it. And I think even if you're taking over like the worst Mac program, like like Sean Lewis is at Penn State, um, it's always going to be way closer to the best Mac program talent wise than like a Syracuse is going to be to a Clemson. Um, so it's just harder to overcome that difference with just like pace and steam alone. Um, so I guess like the, the upshot is like the recruiting is getting better. Uh, and this, like the last year plus two games hasn't really had a, a huge negative impact on that. I don't know if we're like just starting to see the residual, uh, positives from, uh, the 10 win season. Um, so hopefully that helps and we can actually like start to get those like immediate impact players that we got a couple of years ago with the Sisto class and the Williams class. Um, and you know, we saw some of those receivers who we were hoping would take, you know, hit the next level in development cycle, which hasn't happened yet. Um, but it's, it's, I think it's, it's definitely something to talk about in terms of like, we can't just rely on getting up to 85 plays a game and saying like, Oh, we're going to win seven games, but every year by doing this, like there has to be something more there. So hopefully, hopefully during this year and then the months after like Babers has like a real, uh, kind of a come to Jesus meeting and like figure out like what else can we do because hey we can't even reliably get the pace that we want to play at because 
of the struggles on the offensive line and the struggles to uh, stay in rhythm as an offense and get uh, to like reasonable uh, yard and distance uh, marks um, or down and distance. Uh, so there just needs to be something more. And also, you know, this year for all the, all the bad, you know, offense that's come for the last two year, uh, two games, um, it's hard not to wonder what would it be like if we had our full complement of offensive linemen, if we had our two running bats who um, are more uh, adept at negotiating, maybe not the cleanest uh, front. Um, not that I think they would be like, you know, doing so much better. We would have like won one of these games maybe, but I think there'd definitely be an improvement. Um, so if you don't want to totally discount that stuff, but it's, uh, it's definitely a conversation worth having. And hopefully our coaching staff is having, um, because I think we're both still think unless something just, just, unless the season just falls apart completely. I can't imagine, um, the staff being let go, especially with Babers contract, but there's going to be a lot of pressure going into next year, especially if things don't get better during this fall. Yeah, I completely agree there. And I think it's interesting that, uh, that, you know, Babers said today during his press conference, he was saying like to us, at least like media fans saying that it looked like there were a lot of big things missing. Uh, and to them, they were small things. And I think Dino does endorse coach speak here and there. Uh, I think this was one of those instances, like in week one, I could have maybe agreed because it looked like passes were just off. It looked like holes were almost open. It looked, there were a couple drops that just looked bad. Um, while the defense played really well, this past week, I felt like uh, the the offense ground, other than like a handful of plays, really like two or three max, ground to a complete halt. Um, and, and, and to me, I guess I don't think that those are that those are small things that need to be adjusted. And I, you know, I don't doubt Dino. I don't doubt you know what what he's doing. But I do think that I do think it's worth getting a little worked up about some of these things. And yes, I'll completely, and I have completely, you know, considered the the absences on the line, the absences in the running back position. Uh, I, 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 but there, there's still a little too much missing. And I think getting to a point you were making before, like we've seen recruiting uptick a little bit. Um, I don't think Babers was really hired for his recruiting prowess. I don't, I mean, like we said, the whole point of the system was to overcome a talent disparity. Uh, the place though, that we really need the most influx of talent though, is the place where we're not getting it. Uh, and, and that's like offensive skill positions. Um, you know, Ed Hendricks is the only four-star receiver that we've been able to bring in. Uh, well, four, out of high school. I mean, um, Tristan Jackson was a four-star uh, coming out of high school as well, um, a transferred in from Michigan State. But the only recruit we've been able to get out of high school, four-star wide receiver positions at Hendricks, and he's really only just now seeing the field. Uh, we haven't gotten a four-star running back out of high school. We brought in Abdul Adams as a transfer, and he hasn't seen the field a ton. And when he has, he hasn't necessarily like blown us away. Uh, Tommy DeVito is the only four-star quarterback we brought in. And DeVito didn't, hasn't necessarily blown us away either, especially this year where he struggled mightily. Um, so I, I think that at least to me, while we've been able to up the level of defenders, and I think we've actually done a fantastic job recruiting defense in recent years, and Tony White's changes have done really well. Um, I think where SU needs to take the next step in terms of talent is get more skill position players that are four stars, and then also just do a better job developing them. Cause you look at, again, like I just pointed out a bunch of three star, uh, four stars who haven't necessarily um, hit the mark. Kadir White was brought in as a four star uh, offensive lineman and he hasn't even seen the field. Um, obviously we have Enrique Cruz as a four star off the tackle um, coming in and, and hopefully he makes it to campus and hopefully he, um, you know, is able to play relatively early, perform well, um, and all that, but I, I think SU needs to do a better job of uh, of con- converting, especially on offense, 
these uh, these talented players into these talented recruits into talented players on the field. That is a, that's also an issue. We're like where we have gotten the highly uh, touted guys, the like borderline four star type players. Um, it's a, you know, and this is going back before Babers too. Like we've gotten some of these guys throughout the years, and they just it seems like the hit rate's even lower on them than like your average recruit. Um, I think part of that's that like we're getting the guys who are like maybe getting those kind of rankings based on talent, based on um, you know the potential for them to develop into it. Um, Teddy White is like a uh, you know one of those guys. He's you know what's the part? He's all the NFL size. It's just a matter of like getting him to that point. Um, so maybe there's a development concern there, um, which uh, you know you can maybe argue is also showing it like the wide receiver position, the offensive line struggles where like. We have some guy, you know, a bunch of guys that are playing now played last year, and we thought they were getting better throughout the year. We heard good things in the offseason. Um, but ultimately, like, you do need to get the most out of those guys because otherwise you're wasting, like, the few times where you are getting talented to compete with uh, the pack. And then um, we've seen how hard it is to just be a developmental program. Um, like, Dutton Marone had some success with it, but that was about it. Um, so and, and you brought up the defense, like, not to fully switch over, but – it is unfortunate because I think this is another really good defensive performance. Um, I think the, the Tony White hire has been like an A-plus so far. I, you can't – obviously, the, the UNC game, uh, the storm really doesn't reflect what that game looked like. Um, just looking through three quarters, like we were probably the better team, even though our offense like was completely uh, languishing. Um, and then Pitt like didn't do anything special under 400 yards. Uh, you know, they, it was a kind of like the uh, UNC game, not points-wise, but I think they – they made things look better on their end uh, late. Um, but again, like, you know, holding Pitt to 21 points, like you should have a pretty reasonable chance to win that game. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, I think going in, I think we felt like 20 was probably the, the highest you could allow. Um, and yeah, I mean, SU could have been well within that game too. I mean, some disastrous, you know, red zone play calling on that one drive that like I didn't even need to get into because I just get angry about it. Um, but realistically, like uh, other than that and, and, and the touchdown pass from Rex Culpepper to, uh, to Taj Harris, like there wasn't, they didn't really sniff the end zone. They really weren't all that close to scoring. So they're, the defense is keeping us in games right now. And I think it's frustrating for, for anyone that's watching because of how, how close SU could be to a two and zero record, despite those scores. Um, to a two and record, despite the fact that the offense, you know, has pretty much cratered. Like this defense, this defense paired with pretty much any offense we've had in recent years um, would be a, a, a very, very competitive team. And and I know this early part of this podcast has sounded negative, but but I, I think more than that, it's just talking about missed opportunities and the fact that you know SU was very, very close to being something much better than what it looks like right now. And 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 I just hope that, you know, again, a defensive effort like this isn't squandered. You just have to hope they don't get like down on the like defense doesn't get down on because it's it's easy for teams. I don't know, I mean if you've played football before, like if you've been on a team that was unbalanced where the defense played or one side played a lot better than the other, um, it can kind of get contentious. Because and, and like kind of naturally so. It sucks when you're you feel like your side of the ball is doing everything, and the other side just can't even put you in a position to win the game. I mean, we've seen SU teams like that before, the the '09 team, um, some like those early Maroon teams uh, that like were really good defensively, and the offense was just like not like this kind of a struggle, but there was also kind of like a pro style, like kind of built to designed to win a slog game uh, versus this, which is designed to put up points. Um, but 
like you, you just hope that doesn't like the, the team stays together and doesn't have uh, any real fractures there. But not that we've heard any real signs of that, but um, it just you, you wouldn't want to see this like all the progress that's being made on that side of the ball um, kind of go down the go down the drain. Um, and like I'm sure there'll be games where they struggle a bit more. Some offenses will figure them out, and like with game tape, I'm sure there'll be some like inherent advantage that starts to to wane. But until that, like they they just they've looked great. The, the pressure has been there. Um, I think the linebackers, like unlike last year, uh, the linebackers, which we didn't know much about going in, looked looked really good. Uh, Mikel Jones, talking about those four stars that we've gotten, like looks the part. Looks like a future star of the position. The deep the defensive backs have been really really good. The the front, I mean, the whole front seven has been rock solid. We've gotten a ton of pressure on quarterbacks, um, considering that we lost the star power at those at the defensive end position. Um, so it's really exciting. Like I, I feel bad that like we can't get more excited about it because. Uh, Every time they have a stop, you know, they're back on the field in like a minute and a half. Um, but it's just a credit to them, credit to Tony White, who got that to get that defense, like a pretty new defense installed in the offseason we had, is like as impressive as like the fact that we have Miller did our offense turned around is unimpressive. I think that's a very fair point. Um, Dan, why don't we head to halftime? But first, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, one of our sponsors for today, uh, Homefield Apparel. Uh, you've heard us talk about Homefield lately, and they're uh, incredibly comfortable, vintage collegiate apparel. Uh, we had our uh, kind of big noon Saturday um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we beat UConn. It was great. We had a good time. Uh, Dan, do you have your shirts yet? Um, I think they got delivered to uh, my parents' place. I think I put them in the wrong address, so I'm, I am uh, eagerly awaiting going to pick those up uh, next time I go up to Connecticut. But I think that was a that was a you know mistake on my part. Um, but uh, I've seen – I have friends who have gotten theirs and are raving about them, um, especially with the hoodies and whatnot. Uh, perfect for fall because fall, fall hit us like a ton of bricks up here. Um, it is all of a sudden – it was like 90 like two weeks ago. Now it's like it was in the 40s this morning. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, good time. If you, if you, if you need to get into hoodie season, which I fully embrace, uh, full, full hoodie season for me, um, the home field ones are, uh, by all accounts, like fantastic. So – Hopefully, people have gotten the rotors in. If not, it's not too late. Yeah, it's not, it's not too late there. I know I have I have my Tulane shirt on right now, actually. But uh, I had my uh, Vita the Goat shirt on in week one. That didn't work. Um, this weekend, I'll probably try out the uh, the new Auto T that I got. Um, and, and hopefully, that has better luck. I had my, uh, had my 2003 era Mellow uh, sh- uh, shirt jersey. Um, on Saturday this past week, and uh, that did not have any luck either. So that will leave the rotation, um, and we will just keep trying different Syracuse shirts until we find a winner. Yeah, I mean, maybe we just haven't won yet because I haven't gotten my stuff yet. And that's and I'm not going to say it's Homefield's fault, obviously. They're the sponsor. <laughs> uh, I'll say it's my fault for not going to, to be more proactive about it. Way to go, Dan. But yeah, if Dan gets his shirts, we win every game from then on. Um, then, you know, you just need to buy Dan more shirts. Uh, and, and you can do that actually with a 10% off and our code noons, uh, N-U-N-E-S. Uh, so highly recommend if you don't already have some shirts um, or you need more Syracuse shirts for yourself, for the loved one in your life, for, for Dan, uh, then, then by all means, uh, use that code that's noons uh, for 10% off uh, your next home field apparel uh, order. Yes, please do. Dan, on to beer. Uh, what have you been drinking of late? Uh, it wasn't a super heavy beer weekend for me. I did just today have a uh, uh, Floyd's uh, Zombie Dust, which uh, is a nice way to get Always something fantastic. really good on the list. 
Um, otherwise, I, I did drink a lot this weekend for a multitude of reasons, uh, mostly not concerning Syracuse. You can all uh, read into that, uh, what they might be. Um, yeah, I had uh, – it was actually like a, a alcohol liquor event in Brooklyn that I went to on Sunday outside uh, Mass on and everything, obviously. Um, but there were a lot of like uh, mostly whiskey makers um, giving out like samples and, and doing their whole thing. So uh, had a lot of free alcohol on Sunday. Uh, so that was nice. Uh, bought some stuff. Um, did have uh, – obviously that, that zombies, that's like I said. Right now I'm actually drinking – uh, the last evil twin, uh, evil water, uh, their self, their foray into the seltzer world. Although, like as you can imagine, with evil twin, like they went really hard on like making super interesting stuff. So I'm drinking a coffee blackberry blueberry uh, seltzer, and it is. It sounds like a weird combo. It is delightful. It's mm. really good. Um, and like the ones, uh, all the ones I had a couple weeks ago when I was up there are fantastic. As are their beers. So. Um, yeah, mixing up a little bit this week. Uh, but we are actually almost all out of beer here, so I'm going to have to buy some new stuff, so we'll have uh, more to report on soon. Nicely done. Yeah, I, uh, I've been kind of cautious about wh- how much I'm buying lately uh, just because I don't know when I'm going to be around for the weekend. Also, like, I'm buying lighter stuff because I figured my wife would be partaking, and she hasn't been yet because she's still pregnant. Uh, but anyway, I didn't have a ton this past weekend. I was drinking more of uh, the Highland Park Standing in the Sun, uh, West Coast IPA that I mentioned last week, as well as the uh, Highland Park Creature Comforts, uh, Goody Pills. And then I picked up a, a six-pack of uh, Stone Tropic of Thunder Lager that I had mentioned quite a few times over the last like couple of years. Uh, so low-key, uh, again, can't really do much around here, so just been, been sticking to what I have at home. Yes, the the ever the, the very twenty twenty uh, situation, of course. Huge bummer. Uh, anyway, Dan, uh, Georgia Tech's up next. We mentioned them a bunch of times. I guess first and foremost, w- w- what have you seen from the Yellow Jackets so far um, through two games? Um, I saw. I actually saw a decent amount of both games they played uh, this year. Just you know, there aren't that many games going. Um, they're just like, and last year we talked about they they were ahead of schedule last year, although they were still pretty definitively one of the worst like one or two teams in the ACC. Um, I have no idea if they are not one of the worst few teams in the ACC this year, but they are definitely again ahead of where I would think they would be making the transition from the Paul Johnson offense to a brand new offense. Um, that's not to say they're great. They beat Florida State. Florida State just it's hard to. They're like an indescribable mess, uh, indescribable mess. Not that they shouldn't beat George Tech, but like I'm not going to take that much away from that. Um, they got bludgeoned pretty bad from UC- by UCF this weekend, although they hung in that game for a while. Um, the second quarter, UCF just like found it in terms of gas. Um, but I still think there's like you know they've done some good things. Jeff Sims, uh, you know, pretty exciting quarterback. He's a, a true dual threat. Um, he leads their team in rushing um, and you know threw for 240 yards uh, this past weekend. He can be turned over. Um, and he can make mistakes, but overall the rushing game looked really good this weekend. Even in the loss, they ran for 227 yards, so over five yards to carry, and uh, they ran the ball well in Florida State as well. Um, from what I've read, uh, it doesn't sound like um, their defense is getting like a ton of pressure, so that might be a nice uh, rele- uh, you know respite from what we've seen. Um, I kind of wish UNC had played this weekend because I wanted like a, a comparison point, um, yeah. and we didn't get it. Yeah, like they were supposed to play Virginia, I think, this weekend, right? And that got pushed. Yeah, that got pushed because of COVID-related stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. So like Pitt obviously is you know expected to have one of the best defensive lines, and like I thought it looked good. I it, it was hard for me to tell honestly based on what our offensive lines looked like. 
Um, UNC, we didn't think as much of their defensive line, and obviously I think they um, maybe even give us more trouble than Pitt did. Um, Georgia Tech, it doesn't sound like we'll be quite as good up front as those teams. Um, so hopefully that's a chance for us to really figure some stuff out. Um, it doesn't sound like they were getting a lot of pressure on Dylan Gabriel. They, um, he tore them up for 400 plus yards, four touchdowns, uh, but he's really good. So it's not, you know, I, I don't know that that's a, an apt comparison, but I'm hoping that this defense uh, gives us like a chance to really find our footing here. Um, offensively, like I think Tech is actually pretty explosive. Um, Jameer uh, Gibbs, who did not play the first game, had 120 total yards, uh, 60, 60 rushing, 60 receiving out of the backfield. Um, so he's going to be a problem. But we have a good, good amount of team speed on defense, and I think uh, the three three five should be um, a pretty decent match for a team that like this that likes to spread it out. So um, I'm intrigued. I'm, uh, I I don't know. I don't know what, what like to make of this team because I think UCF could be, just be really, really good again. Um, so I'm not going to take too much away from a 49-21 loss. But um, I definitely think Tech seems to be a bit ahead of like where we expected them to be in year two. Uh, and I mean, they're eight point favorites. That seems like a lot, um, especially, uh, on the road, even though we don't really know what a home field advantage is going to be like this year, but, um, you know, there's not a lot that would surprise me in this game, basically at this point, it's just, there's so many unknowns. Yeah. I mean, I do think eight points is a lot, uh, no matter who you're favoring. I think this is more like a field goal, maybe a, uh, like a six point game. Um, at most, I think Georgia tech is. They're better. Uh, they're definitely better. Obviously, they beat Florida State 16-13. Uh, 49-21 is not a great way to go out down to anyone. Um, UCF's obviously very good. Uh, I think for the most part, like, you know, they're, they're, their front doesn't look doesn't look amazing. It doesn't look terrible either. Six tackles for loss against Florida State, seven against UCF. Uh, they have five sacks so far. So not numbers that are, like, so far off from Syracuse's. I think what really popped off the page to me, at least, was, uh, you know, Jeff Sims, the uh, freshman quarterback, uh, 42 of 71, 521 yards. Uh, that would be like a single season line um, under Paul Johnson um, at best. And, uh, yeah, so 260 yards per game uh, throwing the ball, that's not insignificant, and that's probably more than, than you know, you figured they would be able to be capable of. Uh, two touchdowns, four picks for Sims so far. I mean, they're, they're – they're still like, I think even ahead of schedule really from a production standpoint through the air um, than they were last year. Last year, James Graham led the team with 1,164 yards. Uh, team had 1,607 total. So really they've got almost, a, they've got over, well, almost a third of last year's total in just two games uh, throwing the football. So impressive enough. I think ground game's been good, but they haven't leaned on it maybe as much. I mean, the, the, this is a this is a capable team. I think Syracuse has a shot against them because of SU's defense. Um, you know, they're a group that's that, despite the fact that they lost a bunch in in the front seven, uh, they're ahead of schedule. They're averaging you know eight tackles for loss per game. That's about one point seven five more than last year. Um, and really, this is not a system that's supposed to um, emphasize tackles for loss or, or sacks, especially. Um, as much as it's just supposed to emphasize, you know, great coverage and uh, and playmaking out in the open field. And I think that they've been able to, to marry both um, in a really unique way uh, and, and look really good doing it. You know, and that, that's that's a credit to everyone, obviously, White at the top um, as defense coordinator. But, you know, these this defensive line has been really adaptable. Um, you've seen guys like Josh Black really come into their own here. And, and really the first time he's been a feature, feature member of this defense um, since, you know, his freshman year. 
uh, I would say. Like, obviously, he, he played a huge part last year, but, you know, played as a defensive tackle wasn't necessarily, you know, a featured part of, um, you know, kind of stat line and things like that now. Uh, he's really played a standout role. A guy like Marlo Wax um, has really impressed me. Jeff Cantonarku, like these are guys in their first real uh, minutes out there. Stefan Thompson as well, uh, you know, 1.5 tackles for loss. Like overall, I, I really like what I've seen from from these younger players or some of these guys who, who haven't necessarily had a ton of snaps at this point. Um, and, and I think against a younger uh, Georgia Tech group, uh, I like our chances on defense. It's just the question is going to be what we can do on, on offense as always. And Dan, I mean, what sort of steps forward would you reasonably expect? And then what sort of steps forward would you want to expect if, if you weren't being reasonable uh, this coming week? Um, I mean, want to expect, <laughs> I would, I would love to like get 500 total yards of offense, uh, maybe run for more than three yards of carry. <laughs> I don't know if that's reasonable or not. I, it should be because um, that's not very good. Um, no, I, I, realistically, I want to see more Sean Tucker. I brought him up earlier. Um, I thought he just seemed to find some and put in four carries, not a huge sample size. He seemed to find something that the other guys didn't uh, during North-South, just carving up some yards um, at a point in the game where it seemed like the offensive line was starting to get something going um, a little bit. Uh, and then maybe, you know, hopefully get Jawar Jordan back into a role that he is more comfortable being in. Um as not an every down back, but like a more of a gadget player, third down back type. Um, I just want to see. I, I just want to see Davido look like he had like a have some time, and then like just just start. You know, I just want to see a like, normal like uh, stat line, honestly, for a quarterback. Like you can't have your starting quarterback throw for thirty two yards on fifteen attempts. It's just like none of that's okay. Um, defensively, I think just I mean this should be an interesting matchup, just because it seems like they. They do know how fast they spread things out. Um, I think maybe the most interesting thing, considering like the offensive line uh, rebuild they've had to go through because they were recruiting players for the option, which is a very different thing than recruiting players for like a normal college football team. Um, they've allowed one sack in two games, uh, as far as I can tell, based on the ESPN box scores. I don't know if those are incorrect, but usually they're pretty accurate. Um, uh, UCF did not get a sack at Florida State one week one. Um, so it will be interesting to see if we can like get to them. I don't know if that is mostly a credit to Sims being uh, super quick and, and, you know, the team's leading rusher for a reason. Like he, he is a lot of his capability. Um, but seeing if we can get home on him, seeing what kind of like spy work we do on the defense because uh, he's going to be a factor in the running game um, will be really interesting because I think the 335 should be built uh, for that kind of adaptability, especially when you have a rover. Um, where you could put uh, either a Chul Williams or an Andre Sisto uh, in that, like, just make sure the quarterback, you know, stays home uh, duty. Um, I think that'll be fascinating. Uh, but, yeah, I just need to see, like, I don't even need to see, like, a huge offensive game. I just need to see, like, signs of life. And I'll be, you know, not happy, but, like, kind of relieved. Yeah, like a, a couple steps. Like, I'd say even even a step forward. Um, from what we saw would be ideal. Like I'd love to see an offensive touchdown that like DeVito like handles the drive. I'd love to see us get into the red zone more than once. I'd love to see us be able to challenge at the, you know, goal line. Um, like to see us try to do some, I mean, Babers addressed the red zone after the game on Saturday. Like I'd love to see us look capable um, in a short yarded situation, but by, by, by any measure, uh, I, I I don't even need 20 points, really. I, I, I think you could see Syracuse win. I guess this is my prediction. 
I could see Syracuse winning a 17-13 game here. Uh, kind of ugly, kind of a slugfest. I think that's a step in the right direction. If SU can win an ugly game like that and then maybe start putting things together on offense. Um, but if we can get a couple touchdowns, you know, give Andre Schmidt a, a chance to tack on a field goal, um, really kind of lean on the defense. I think the defense here, because uh, Georgia Tech's a pretty young group, I think you do see um, SU's penchant for um, turnovers and, and, and for some big plays uh, does help them out and, and does kind of exploit, again, like the, the youth on Georgia Tech's end and some of their inexperience uh, running a normal offense still as they continue to transition out of uh, Paul Johnson's triple option. Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would love to see the team average like even just four yards per, per, per first down. Like I think that's – we brought it up earlier – the, the lack of success on first down is just setting us up for failure in such a major way. Just getting to like an average mark where you're facing second and sixes and third and fours instead of, you know, third and eight, third and nine every drive would be such a major step forward. Um, and, and and maybe allow us to like kind of ease things in. Because I think the times in these first two games where DeVito's looked okay is when we're using the short passing game, getting things to the boundary uh, where we don't have to worry as much about the interior blocking. Um, as we do like this typical running game, um, just being able to like get those things going to open the defenses up a little bit to then maybe being able to attack the middle um, would just be good. But you know, you throw one incompletion on first down, and then you're 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 in trouble there. So um, I would just like to see some kind of baseline of success, and maybe just a little more um, a little more of an interesting game plan because it just seems like we've been trying to run stuff that should work for a team where we are. But when it's just not working, like you, you end up just totally derailing your game plan, and like I, I just think we're running out of time to try to to fit like a square peg in a round hole with what this offense can and can't do. Yeah, and I think really like the, the first down stuff comes down to um, you know can you establish a run game? Can you create play action? Um, can you make believable? Like, can you create believable RPOs? Um, and then you know can can you convert all of that? into options downfield. Like DeVito hasn't completed a pass beyond 10 yards. That's like effing insane to me, um, given like what he was brought in to do, which was in part like extend the field, throw better deep balls. Like, and he hasn't been able to do that at all. Like, I, I, I think if we can, if we can start using the middle of the field, um, that's something that like DeVito didn't do a ton of last year, but found ways and it was actually successful. I think he was 16 to 26 um, for six touchdowns. Uh like in the 10 to 20 yard range. And again, like it'd be great to just complete any passes in the 10 to 20 yard range this year. Um, just one, just one for the season. Just do us a little something. I mean, he would have had one if not for, uh, if not for that drop uh, by Sherrod Johnson, uh, that, that easy touchdown grab. Uh, and that's the thing, like w- even this season, we've seen glimmers of what we know DeVito's capable of. Um, they just haven't, like, I think like last game, we just didn't see any really. Um, and, and that was, you know, such a shame. I, I think that, yeah, if, if we can, if we can at least get the run game going, I think that starts to put the pieces together on some of the other items. And again, if, if Georgia tech is not going to be able to generate as much pressure, I think that's a big plus for us. Um, because, you know, DeVito's faced a ton of it. Uh, he's faced, I think pressure. I saw on pro football focus, it was 27 pressures. Um, he's only gotten eight passes off. All of them were incomplete. Yeah, I mean, and that's some of that's on him. Like he needs to, oh, 100%. be labor, and he needs to, he needs to find a solution there. Um, unfortunately, like the offensive line isn't going to be what it is. Hopefully, it gets better throughout the season. But you need to find a way to adapt, and and you know, great quarterbacks know how to handle that. Um, 
Good Manning quarterbacks know how to handle him. Right. Um, he just hasn't proven that ability yet. Um, and it's a huge part of, like, taking his name to the next level. We know he has the arm talent. We've seen what he can do on a good team where, like, the teams are kind of headed to him, you know, at times. Um, adversity has been a major issue for him. And, uh, like, you know, hopefully – not. and I, I'm not doubting, like, his hard work or anything. It's just something needs to click where he just gets that internal clock going and uh, is able to find his outlets and, and get you know build the chemistry. And the fact that that hasn't happened in the last year plus is uh, frustrating. But, you know, if a big win on Saturday, and I think, you know, people will, will turn around – pretty quickly i think people just looking for some signs of life uh and it's just been so demoralizing the last two weeks um i get where like a lot of the frustrations come in it's just uh i still think devito's our best chance to win these games like and that's not a knock on culpepper like that 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 moment was awesome it's cool that we got some like national attention for something good in this football season um with the the pitch and catch to to tash harris which was incredible and he's just such a good story um but like the rest of the game, you kind of saw where he's limited. Um, arm strength is just not what Tommy's is, um, and you know, there's just he he does seem to have a little bit more of like I don't know the 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 internal timing. I think he does have better, but unfortunately, we can't stick like that factor of his fa- uh, facet of his game with Tommy's arm at the same time. So we need to find something. But I do think Devito still gives us the best chance to win, um, but a ton has to improve. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, I wrote that article today. Like, I, I think realistically, um, you know, I, I was ready to move on in, in the, you know, fourth quarter of the uh, the pit game to Culpepper, if only because I felt like DeVito had just been shell-shocked at that point. Um, I, I think that DeVito still deserves a chance to start and a chance to prove himself. And, and he could very well, you know, do that against Georgia Tech. But realistically, like, if he squanders first half against Georgia Tech, it's kind of hard to – to see him as like the option and Babers even alluded to, you know, both players seeing snaps, um, you know, against, uh, against Georgia tech and, and something that, you know, sounded similar to what he said um, when, when there was a DeVito versus uh Dungy questions uh, back in 2018. And realistically. So funny to think about, like given, <laughs> given like the, the place that Eric Dungy holds in this program, like after that UNC game, not it's not a majority of people by any means, but a very there was large a, number of people. A very large number of people, self included. Probably, a, probably a, a similar number to the people now saying that Culpepper needs to start. Like, let's let's all let's all remember how this played out in 2018. Um, and maybe you know maybe if Devito started that whole year, he would have been amazing. But Dungy had his ups his serious ups and downs. Um, and Devito looked really good in the interim, and like not just like a one play thing. Like Devito looked looked the part in that UNC game. Oh, he let, um, yeah, he let, let, let a very, like, yeah, let, let a comeback in, in a very short amount of time against UNC. Everyone thought that DeVito could potentially start. I mean, I wrote an article basically ending the, the Dungy era. Don't look it up. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then like, you know, Baber said something similar where he's like, yeah, they're going to, they're going to split snaps. And then Dungy came in and had one of his best games as a member of Syracuse. I think he had five total touchdowns in that, like it was 55, 45 game. Yeah. He played um, like, was unbelievable in that yeah, game. Out so. of his mind. And I mean, that, that's really the mark of who Dungy was, though. And, you know, Dungy, other than the injury against Notre Dame early, really kept his, you know, a vice grip on that uh, on that job going forward. And, yeah, he had one of his best games. SU was a kind of coming out party for them. They won their sixth game. It was awesome. But, like, I think this is a good measure of, of, of DeVito's, you know, mental makeup um, of just, like, questioning him a little bit 
making because realistically, like what we've seen from him is still is far worse than what we saw from Dungey when he was questioned. And I think it's worth asking at this point, like, you know, it is has DeVito just been hit too many times? Has the timing just been too screwed up? Um I I hope not. I I, I do hope that he's the quarterback um that, that that we see for Syracuse, but and it's not to slight Rex, not to slight anybody else. I just don't know if anybody right now on the roster is ready to be what is required. Um, but I think if, if, if DeVito shows he can't do it against Georgia Tech, I think you might have to start giving other people a shot. And, and, and that's because you don't want to let this season go by without – I mean, even if it is a lost season, then okay, if it's a lost season, you might as well try out a bunch of other options to see who's your option going forward so that the next season isn't also a lost season. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's always dangerous because you don't want to stick David Summers or Dylan Markowitz – in a situation that's like kind of unwinnable. Like, I don't know that the game time experience is necessarily, and I, I think Babers would know way better than any of us. We don't know these players at all. Um, some guys aren't going to get phased by that. Some, um, I don't, I don't want like a freshman to go in there who may be good down the road, get sacked eight times and like have that just kind of like throw them off for like the foreseeable future or to like give them some like super, you know, crazy sense of self doubt when they were kind of put in an unwinnable position. So, um, I think eventually you do get there and you want to see what those guys have, but um, you know, hopefully we don't have to worry about it. Hopefully we, we figure we look good enough where we can stay the course and try to work, you know, work things on the fly. That would be nice. Um, Dan, I already gave my prediction for this one. Um, what is, uh, what, what is your pick for, uh, for Syracuse's game? Um, I, going into when I was prepping, I was like going in kind of expecting to pick Georgia tech. And, like, you know, they're eight-point favorites for a reason. They've looked better than us. Um, the more I look at it, I think there are hopefully some things that we can get done against that defense, especially them coming off of, you know, almost giving up 50 points. Um, I'm going to say that we find some pride here and we, uh, you know, steal one here at the the opening of the, you know, Carrier Dome 2.0. So I'm going to go Syracuse 24-21, two offensive touchdowns, uh, Andre Sisto, Pitch six because we're, we're due for one and uh, a nice, uh, maybe a nice uh, field goal to win the game 24 21. All right, it's bold. If, if we lose this one, I may never pick us again. So <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just like getting, getting it out there while I can. It's fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Liberty game's hanging out there, but Liberty has also won a game this year already. That's true. Yeah. I, I, I just I just don't want to pick. I like if we lose to Liberty, then you know, just. Just, just take us out to see. It's over. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I can't. I can't put that in my brain, like, and be okay yet. So we'll, we'll address that when we get to it. I guess. Well, Liberty might not be able to field the football team by then. Who knows? Also a concern. <laughs> All right, uh, Dan. Anything else before we wrap up today? No. Um, you know, hope everyone's doing well. Stay still. Stay in the course. Uh, you know, to be the thousandth podcast to say it. Um, please don't register to vote and like make a voting plan like that's very important obviously it has nothing to do with sports but i felt like i should say that given uh the events of the last couple of days yeah we're, we're, no granted at least on paper we're not telling you who to vote for no uh, just re- register to vote just yeah just, vote. just exercise your right to vote and 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 you know maybe vote for candidates who want to make sure that everyone can do the same yes cool <laughs> that was that was Dan. Yeah, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe 
on iTunes, Megaphone, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.